Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Welcome in. This is usually a Fish Fry Friday. However, um, we're changing things up on this uh, edition. We are actually going to have an interview in the second half of the program. Uh, I'm Andrew Coppins. He's Pat Oni. You can see it on your screen how to follow us. And if not, uh, go to rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Watch the show for the love of God. Just watch the show. That's, that's all you need to do. Uh, but uh, why don't you let people know who are we interviewing and, and um, why? Uh, we are going to be interviewing Mary Taylor. For, she's the president of Pro-Life Utah. Um, and the reason we're interviewing her is we want to you know, talk about the end of Roe versus Wade. We want to talk about the um, the future of the pro-life movement and and just also address some questions that of the the crazy pro-choice crowd that 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 we, I've been getting all week that that need to be answered because too often do they keep blurring the lines of abortion and what is not abortion. And it just we, we, we I want to put it into it essentially. Speaking and who better of ends, that, Pat, um, mm-hmm. so I have a double question for you uh-huh. uh, because late on Thursday afternoon, we got noticed that um, USC and UCLA um, were allegedly going to be joining our favorite conference, the Big Ten Conference. Now, by Thursday night... By about six o'clock central time, six thirty central time, um, that move is one hundred percent on official uh, with both USC and UCLA, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 making their announcements as to what is going on. Yes, it is official as of twenty twenty four. USC and UCLA they add the second biggest media market to the number one media market. In fact, the Big Ten has six of the top seven media markets in the country right now six of the top seven pat are in the big tens where's number seven at uh the dallas fort worth market Uh, okay um so maybe they add tcu no i'm just kidding um so um they've they've added usc ucla as of 2024 so i have two questions i know we're only supposed to ask one but i've got two questions so number one on this is is this the end of college football Gosh, I hope so. At least, at least of of of, of NCAA. Like, like college football in itself. No, I don't think no. But maybe, maybe, maybe the end of the NCAA. That that would be fantastic to me. Why would that be fantastic though? Um, because because here's the rub though. The NCAA has nothing to do with FBS football. Period. Oh, okay, fair point. Um, then let me think about this for a second. No, I don't think it's the end of college football. 
I think it could be the end of certain conferences in college football. Um, like, for example, I think the Pac-12 being a Power 5 conference is going to be no longer a thing. Um, yeah, we there's a lot to, uh, to digest there because I think what right. you're going to see is the Big 12 and the Pac-12 merge. Eventually, yeah. I, I think, you're I think down that's, to 10. That's you're likely down to 8 um, mm-hmm. in the Pac-12 at some level here, um, depending on these moves. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think this is the end, but it definitely mm-hmm. is a... This is something that people like you and I, we've grown up for, or we grew up in an era where the Rose Bowl is the Rose Bowl, right? Right. Or at least it was. And that has slowly been chipped away. Oh, this might be the end of of that tradition for sure. Right. And here's what I was going to say, is that this is the end of the tradition that has been college football. But this is not the end of college football because, as somebody pointed out, 100 years ago, the forward pass wasn't a damn thing, right? College right. football has been ever-evolving since it became a thing. It has always been moving and changing. It is, is the change good or bad? And here's the reality. The change that is happening now is driven by media because it is the only way in which the NIL money and all of those things that are coming down the pipeline, the professionalization of college athletics can be sustained. And unfortunately for, you know, you and I who really love the tradition of college football and also the geographical tradition of college football, those days are done and dusted. How do you, as the Big Ten command 50, 60 million dollars a year for every institution, right? How do you do that? You have to be involved in the biggest media markets that you can. It is why Rutgers and Maryland exist in the Big Ten, right? Right. Not because they're great at football. Or now Rutgers is actually pretty good sports. at basketball, uh, ironically. Yeah, ironically. Um, but it was never about that. It was about adding those the D.C. metro market and New York and New Jersey, right? That's what that right. was about. This is also about that, but it is also about the realization that um, the regionalization of college football is done, right? When Texas and Oklahoma decided to go to the SEC, this was always going to be a thing that Big Ten was going to have to respond to. This is about as good of a response as you could possibly get, because you have to think that USC is not going to be not USC for, for very much longer. Especially adding Lincoln Riley. Right. Yeah. So um, you got USC, you've got Ohio State, you've got Michigan, you've got Penn State, you've got Wisconsin, you've got six powerhouse programs, six brand name programs in college football. Brand names, big time brand names. Like just like in the SEC, you've got Alabama, you've got LSU, now you've got Oklahoma, you've got Texas, Texas AM. Um, you could also make the argument Florida is in that mix, right? Of these absolute Tennessee could be in that mix too. Of these absolute brand name blue blood programs in college football. I agree with you all except for one name. I mean that that name is irrelevant. So um you do realize that you wouldn't exist without them, right? 
Potentially, yeah, yeah. But uh, I I also want to say that, that that we were their end. So, um, I, I'll just stick with that. Okay, whatever, whatever yeah. you got to say there, Pat. So yeah. I, I I wanted to ask that question because I think it's important that people understand college football has been ever evolving. Now, what I think it is going to signal, maybe not now, this is going to be the end of of um the college football bowl system. And go to more of a playoff system? Yes, because eventually what is going to have to happen here is that you can't just have a conference champion when you've got 20 teams in a conference, right? Or 16. Right. And, and right. we'll get into this other question in a bit. But I think the end is in the works for the bowl system. It doesn't make economic sense anymore. Um, you could play exhibition games, right? Sure. So you play your 10 conference games and then you have two exhibition games at the end of the season or, you know, or you shrink down the bowl season or you make the bowls just part of the playoff system. But I think the days of the Rose Bowl, like what what the hell is a Rose Bowl matter anymore? It doesn't. And it Uh, it feels like it hasn't mattered for a very long time. Since ever since they went to this rotational, you know, championship game inside the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl is not the Rose Bowl that right. we grew up on. Right. Every year, knowing that it's going to be the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, every year, that's, that's gone. It has been gone for a while. We've just been holding on to it. I I would say it's like a a. Oh, what the hell! So my point is that with the tradition not really being the tradition and and all of those things. I, I don't maybe you can still call them those games or whatever. Um, mm. But uh, the days of like, if it's not in the college football playoff, um, then it's the, those two conference champions or those two conferences. No, those it's done and dusted. I think you go to a 16 team playoff immediately. Once these uh, conferences have finished this version of realignment, mm-hmm. um, you go to that. Um, at least a 16 team, if not a 24 team, which is what they do, by the way, in um, FCS. Right. And, and, and there's where you go, okay, so now you do have a conference championship game, and that conference champion, if you're in the SEC, the, the ACC, the Big Ten, and whatever comes out of the Big 12 and Pac-12 situation, right? Those four in that 24 scenario go in. Um, and they get a first round buy. Well, and the, the other the other cool thing about this, because I think you're right, they're going to have to it, it's going to force this to happen. And it needs to, it's it's needed to happen for a long time because people get pissed off about, you know, hey, my, my team didn't get a fair shake. Right. Yeah, even at 16, you um, would still have that. Right. And, and, right. And I'm not saying that. But I, but you'd have more you'd have more of a fair shake than you do now. And my, my, my point is this, is that. You put you take a sixteen uh, team conference and then you're duking it out to be the top dog of that conference. Anything can happen. I don't care what what your preseason polls are. Um, Alabama has dominated those polls for for how many years now? Ohio State has dominated those polls for how many years now? All of that might be true, but once you once you start you know adding more teams into that conference and you do an, a, a a real conference play, like a real legit conference, but especially when you're adding rivals and big power schools like like UCLA and USC. Well, USC, UCLA, I think is getting better, and they've they had are. a really hard um, time because they're so far in debt athletically. Right. 
um, that I think this will be the cash injection that they need uh, to, to really. Bas- yeah. Their basketball programs are usually pretty good though. Right. And, and my, my, my point, my point is this, is that you start adding these teams in. It doesn't matter who's top dog at the end of the season. It matters who's top dog at the end of the season. And, and you have to go through that grueling schedule. And, and now that regions no longer really matter, the travel that goes into that too is going to be a factor. Yeah, I mean, the, the Big Ten is going to become the very first conference to literally go from coast to coast. Coast to coast. Well, I mean, maybe you could say the American did that for a little while. Uh, who do they have? Well, I mean, they had UConn, right? So there's one coast. Yeah. And then right. they had... Um, who do they have out west? Oh, maybe they didn't. Yeah, uh, they did. yeah, no, they didn't. You're right. You're right. You're right. Now, anyway, um, to get back to my second question here, okay. is the Big Ten done at adding USC and UCLA? Yes or no? No. No, I don't think so. I think it depends on who becomes available and and who wants to go where. Because if you're right in in that the this is the end of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 merges with the Big Big Twelve, um, I could see some of those schools in the Pac-12 still coming and joining the Big Ten. I could even see some schools in the Big Twelve leaving the Big Twelve to come join in the in the Big Ten. Um, so I couldn't, and I'll tell you why. Why? Um, because those schools in the Big Twelve. Um, most of them are not mem- uh, are not academically eligible, basically that, for the Big Ten. That's true. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not con- taking that into consideration. So you're you're right in in that aspect. That um, that's why this this whole Texas Oklahoma thing. Like everybody's right. like, damn it, the Big Ten should have done that. Except for they weren't going to take Oklahoma in their right. terrible academics just to bring Texas into the fold. Right. I, I mean. And and I guess my head just kind of automatically goes like, okay, what what teams would be really cool to add to the to the Big Ten? Okay, so um, if they if they're not done but, at sixteen, how how far do you think they go? Uh, well, however far the SEC wants to compete. So, um, if the SEC decides, hey, I want to increase to twenty teams, I guarantee you the Big Ten's going to try to follow suit if they can. So here here's what I think. Um, when it comes to that, I think they're not done. I agree with you a hundred percent. They're not done. And they're going to strike that blow at the SEC, and they're moving to 20 teams. It's right. also logistically the smart thing to do. Right. Because it evens out a schedule. You don't have to worry about playing divisions anymore. You can go to a pod system, right? Right. And it's, so you go five pods, four teams, right? And you kind of set it up like they do in the NFL, right? You play the other three teams in your pod. You play each one of the other four on a rotational basis year by year. Right. And then let's say you finished with the third best record in your pod. Okay. So then the other three pods that you don't play, you play the, the team that finished third. Right. I think that would be a great way to do it. Um, And, and honestly, while we're on the topic, if, if we were going to take on more teams, I, I sincerely hope Utah would be one of them. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it would, it would certainly help geographically, at least make a bridge. Right. Right. Um, but, um, 
Now, I know why you hope that, right? So that you can get the Big Ten Network, but... Well, um, that, that and Ohio State gets to come here every now and again, so... Right. Um, the, the, the kink in this situation is everybody's looking at Notre Dame as that domino that has to fall. They have to go somewhere at some point here, right? They cannot be that independent anymore. It just uh, doesn't work. They're going to go to the ACC. Well, see, I... Here's the problem with that, though. The ACC is likely to be the the picked the the bones get picked, right? Mm-hmm. So the SEC, if if the Big Ten responds, right, the, where does the SEC go to respond? They have to Probably go the to the ACC. Can. So you look at mm-hmm. maybe adding a Florida State into the mix, a Miami into the mix, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm looking at that, here's the the kicker in all of this. Most fans don't know this, but when Notre Dame played that COVID year basically in an ACC schedule, right? Right. They signed an agreement that they would not join any conference for the next eight years. Ooh. Now, uh, here's what we'll talk. <laughs> here's 50 million. You don't think yeah. the money would talk to the ACC? Here's $50 million, by the way. We're uh, done with that agreement. I mean... Honestly, Notre Dame has more rivals in the Big Ten than I think than anywhere else. It, but but um, it really, in terms of its administrative side and stuff like that, fits into the ACC. It really does. Um, but it's kind of straddled both sides, right? It's in the ACC for a lot of things, just not football and hockey, right? Hockey's in the Big Ten, so it straddles both sides. I. I think ultimately what I would do if I were the Big Ten, my targets are Notre Dame, mm-hmm. number one, Oregon, number two, because it does bring the football value. Um, Oregon had, I think, the ninth best ratings of all college uh, football games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, its games were the ninth best rated. That's a top 10 team when it comes to what matters for getting you the most money possible. So there's two of the four. Um do you take Washington along with Oregon? I think you do. Seattle's market is Seattle's market, whatever. Right. Um, okay, so there's now you're left with one other team. Where do you go? You can't go to UNC because UNC and Duke are a total package deal. Right. So the there, other, only other school that I can think of that I would target would either be Boston College or um, Florida State. What about what about West Virginia? I don't know. No, no way in hell. Nope, not academically there. Um, they just they fit into the Big Twelve. They really do in terms of their athletic makeup. Um, that's that's where they belong. Um, now I say Florida State because Florida State is a very very good academic institution. It is. It really is. I mean, they've produced a ton of Rhodes Scholars. Um, and, well, I, and I also say it from the perspective of there's the history. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a name. It's a name brand. If they can right. get back there. Right? So if you add Florida State, you've got Florida State, USC, um, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. All of those in Wisconsin now, because Wisconsin's been good for 30 years. Like, right. they're, they're a blue blood program. and. In college football, I mean, that's a reality of the situation here. I mean, you 
You've now planted your flag in being able to recruit even better in the state of Florida. You now get to recruit out west. If you if you are the Big Ten, it the, these four additions, right? If you were to add Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, and FSU, you solve all four of the problems that exist in why you would expand. Your what about your television? Hang on. It's your television rights, right? It's also your ability to recruit on a national level. And don't forget about that. Because one of the things that people have been talking about for the last 30, or well, not even 30, but the last 20 years, is that the Big Ten in its schools like Purdue, its schools like, um, not even Indiana, but like, um, like kind of that mid-level program, right? Why can't they get over that hump? Why can't they start competing with uh, an Ohio State and a Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. It's because schools out the the population centers here in the Midwest are shrinking and they're going to the coasts. Right. So they're going southeast and west. And now guess what you've done? You've planted your conference flag literally in those in those hotbeds. It's an amazing recruiting tool. You solved your television rights issues. You've solved your um, landlocked issues of the Big Ten. You've solved your recruiting issues. Because as much as you would want to say, well, yeah, you can go and recruit, recruit, recruit like crazy and plant your flag at, uh, you know, XYZ High School in California. It doesn't really matter if they can't see you on TV. It doesn't really matter if mom and dad can never go and see you in a game, right? Or it makes it super difficult. Now it doesn't. Right. Question though, uh, on that note, you know, because you 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 talked about uh, tapping in all these different markets and media rights and all that sort of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the Big Ten's in six out of seven. I understand your argument for Florida State. I understand your argument for Notre Dame. I understand. I understand those arguments, right? But why wouldn't you go and try to get a Texas school or or with someone within that region so that you could tap into that market too? Because you're always going to be able to. Hmm. I mean, look at look at Purdue. Look at, I mean, Wisconsin's got like two or three members of their class this year are from Texas. You're always going to be able to. There's so much talent there that it doesn't matter. Um, just just really curious doesn't. because it, you've it, got it, it's not not like adding TCU adds anything. Maybe in baseball, that's not a good basketball program. Yeah, no, no, no. They don't have it. <laughs> that that's a joke. Um, and, and it's also not a public university, right? I mean, USC is not either, but what about, what about, um, what about Texas tech? Dear God, no, nobody wants to go to Lubbock. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, you might as well just add another Northwestern. Nobody wants to do that. I mean, no. North, Northwestern would be one of those teams. That I, that I would the only to. school I would have ever considered joining the hmm. Big Ten from Texas probably is Texas A&M or Texas. Neither of, that, neither of those are going to happen. They're in right. the SEC. So, so stay away. Yeah. And then you're adding Oregon. You get a, a cool factor, the name brand factor. Washington's been quietly a hotbed of recruiting lately in the Big Ten. Well... You also, I don't know if this plays a part because Oregon has, you know, all the Nike stuff, right? Yeah, I don't know if that, that, that doesn't that matter. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's 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 
it is another recent blue blood like Wisconsin. You have Ooh. to put them in that maybe that secondary category of blue bloods, but they're there. It fires another shot at the SEC. Right? What is, what is the SEC going to gobble up? Duke and North Carolina? And Miami? Miami is not a name brand program anymore. It is not. It is not. It hasn't been for at least 15 years now. All right. On that note, though, Pat, um, before we uh, go into the B or not the B, though, I think you've got a question for me. I, I do have a question for you. Um, I, I'm going to go with more of the uh, 4th of July route. Mm. Um, you know, since that's on Monday, but um, you know, we're, we're going to do the uh, Declaration of Independence special. And I got to thinking of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. If you could meet one of them, who would it be and why? Mm. See, I think a lot of people's answers would be George Washington. And I would find him to be an absolute boring uh, meet. Um, Except I don't think he signed the Declaration of Independence, did he? Under Virginia, he's not he's not on here. Everyone thinks he did. I don't think he actually did. Right. Mm-hmm. I was gonna point that out too. Okay. <laughs> that was gonna be my second point. Sorry. Number one, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to like step on your on your toes there, but <laughs> no. number one, he's super boring, actually. Right. Um and and a hard ass, so no thank you. Um, and then number two, he didn't actually sign. And there's a reason why he didn't sign the Declaration of Independence. Why? Because they had made him the general of the Continental Army at that point. Right. So signing that made no sense. Um, oh, man. I, I would either go with um, Thomas Jefferson or um, John Adams. Why? Because they were great thought leaders and absolute titans of of intellect. I, I think it would be fascinating to to be able to meet them and and understand, you know, the the aura and the essence of who we think they are versus who they really were. And, and they're one of the few these are some of the few people on earth that we really have a great understanding for because of they wrote everything about their lives down. I mean, the letters between John Adams and, and Abigail Adams are incredible. Um, I think though that would be, the, I, I would go with John or John Adams over uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, in my view, I think he's one of the greatest um, players in our foundational um, setup. So that's who I go with. What about you? Um, I put a lot of thought into this. Um, it would either for me, it would have to be one of two. It would have to be either Benjamin Franklin or it would have to be Samuel Adams. Why Samuel Adams? I mean, the beer is great and all, but yeah. Uh, he was part of the Sons of Liberty. So was John. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, it wasn't Sam one of the more of the founding members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um and and just i don't know like like i feel like he was just kind of at the forefront of the the beginnings of of the revolutionary war and um i don't don't know he just he's always in particular fascinated me john does too don't get me wrong um i i was just trying to pick someone that that wasn't yeah i thought about benjamin franklin when you gave me this question earlier i thought about him too but at the end of the day um I don't know. I think there are more fascinating people. 
mm. or or people that maybe we think we know that we don't don't right and that's that's true i i mean cause I, I i promise you i don't know everybody on this list uh, but i i chose benjamin franklin simply because of i mean look at his look at his list look at his resume first of all oh yeah I mean, um, and you know talk the, about cosmopolitan the, right right and the thinker and the in- inventor that he was mm-hmm. i mean he would i just think he would be f- fascinating to have a conversation with yeah if i were um, doing a dinner party absolutely like he's mm-hmm. number one on my list um but yeah, if I had a chance to just meet somebody, I would want to meet somebody like John Adams. Yeah, and see, and I think that's why I lean towards Samuel Adams. Um, is I mean, you're kind of this one of the sneaky heroes of of the American Revolution, and um, the 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 amount of courage that came out of the Sons of Liberty. Um, yeah, I almost put him in like the um, the Apostle Andrew category. Yeah, you know, there's not yeah. a lot known. There's enough known. Played a very obviously prominent role. He's one of the twelve freaking apostles, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I would put him in that category. That's that's a really good thought question. But uh, before we um, before we get into the interview with Mary um, from Pro Life Utah, I think we got to play the B or not the B. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are good you time. ready? Nah. About as ready as the Pac-12 was to see USC and UCLA go bye-bye, which was not ready at all. No. Oh, yeah, that, that, that happened fast. They too. didn't see that coming at all. Mm-mm. Alrighty, then. Today's headline, Donald Trump to star in Fast and Furious 10 Capital Riot. Donald Trump to star in Fast and Furious 10 Capital Riot. Is this the B or not the B? That is the question. And I'm actually going to do this today. Why, why you're thinking about that, Andrew Coppins? I'm going to do this. Folks, I know there's been a lot of talk of Roe v. Wade being overturned. I know there's a lot of controversy in that. I know that there are a lot of emotions running high right now. Um, I know there are a lot of, of young women out there that, that don't know what to do. Um, that are going through a lot. And I'm here to tell you this. Um, organizations like Pro-Life Utah are genuinely here to help. They really are. Mm-hmm. They have the resources. They they will help you find resources, help you find the help that you need, help you get therapy, help you um, through your pregnancy. You know, th- They will help you with all of these things. There are other solutions than just going to a Planned Parenthood and getting an abortion. And there are a lot safer solutions for you and your baby. So if you are, are in this situation where you're, you're just having a tough time, you need some help, go to ProLifeUtah.com um, or, or wh- wherever, wherever you live, I'm sure there's something within your state that can help you. Bottom line is make sure that you get the help that you need. Yeah, 100%. 100% agree. All right. Donald Trump to star in Fast and Furious 10 Capital Riot. Is this the B or not the B? Andrew Coppins, your answer. Okay, man. I, 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 I mean, I feel like this week we've lobbed softballs at each other, but this is definitely the Babylon B. Are you sure? Because I, I know you missed one earlier in the week. Yeah, that's because... The lines have been blurred so much. I'm going to go with the Babylon B on this one. It's going to be Your the final B. answer. Final answer. 
You would be correct. This is the Babylon Bee. How long before it actually becomes true? Oh, it's kind of what my thought process was. By the way, do you, you know, know that they actually have a Google Drive um, set up with everything that they, like all the prophecies that they made and all of them that have come true? <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Universal Pictures announced Wednesday that former President Donald J. Trump would be starring in the 10th movie in the long-running Fast and Furious franchise. The upcoming film, tentatively called FF10, Capital Riot, will once again feature Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto. The film's producers have been tight-lipped about the plot, but did confirm that Trump would grab the wheel from his limo driver and attempt to ram into the Capitol building. Reports also indicate there will be a scene where Trump hijacks a bus and tells the driver he has to drive over 50 miles per hour or it will explode. It's going to be the greatest movie, Trump told Entertainment Tonight. We've got a lot of special effects. Believe me, we've got got explosions, car wrecks, fog machines, you name it. To tell you the truth, the movie is going to be tremendously fast, unbelievably furious, he continued. This series used to this series used to be pretty fast, but now it's just absolutely tremendously fast. Fast like you wouldn't believe. Fast and Furious 10 Capital Riot is expected to begin filming this fall for summer 2023 release. Oh man. <laughs> now, before uh we get on to our interview with uh with Mary from uh, Pro Life Utah, Pat. Um uh-huh. <clears throat> Here's a newsflash. We we are pre-recording this on, on Thursday night. Um, but uh, literally, Pat, an mm. hour ago, uh-huh. this was said on television. Sustainable. What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. What we heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Yes, Pat. Did he just say the not-so-quiet part out loud? He literally said it. He literally... The liberal world order is the World Economic Forum's... uh, turn of phrase for the NWO. First of all, are we sure this isn't Wednesday because this feels like a WTF Wednesday moment? You had to go there. You just had to go there, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Is Joe Biden like Hulk Hogan to Klaus Schwab and um, and uh, what's his face um, being Scott Hall and Kevin Nash? See, I was I, was was Ric Flair part of the NWO? Yeah, at some point in in its like nine different iterations, but yeah. Yeah, so I, I I would have said something more like Ric Flair, but um, well, Hulk Hogan was in his like sixties when he was in there. Yeah, but but Joe Biden's just not as um. But he tries to be his this. hip, 
right? Right, yeah. Or his buff. And his hairstyle is more like, like a Ric Flair. The quiet part out loud. If any of you listening don't understand what we're talking about and why reviving liberty is a very important and vital movement and podcast for the love of all things holy, believe them when they slip up the liberal world order. What the absolute hell are you talking about? On that note, though, and joining us now is Mary Taylor, president of Pro-Life Utah. Uh, she's joining us to talk about the overturn of Roe versus Wade along with the future of the pro-life movement. But you know what? I I just I can't. I can't, Andrew. I can't because Why? I we're guys. We, we have no say when it comes to abortion. None. None whatsoever. Right. I mean, is that right, Mary? We, we have no say. It's 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 completely a women's issue. Oh, you know what? That that drives me completely crazy. You you men are at least 50% of the equation, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you you have a voice. The, we're talking about your children. We're talking about your responsibilities. Yes, we are definitely talking about men. Are are you sure because we don't get to go through pregnancy? Yeah, you know what? Nothing drives me crazier than a pro-choice man. Uh, you know, we see it all the time at Pro-Life Utah, the women that we help. Nine times out of 10, they are in that abortion clinic because they've been abandoned by their men. Uh, the men are pushing them, forcing them to get abortions. Most definitely, this is an issue that affects man and men and that men are intimately involved in. Literally and figuratively, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but um, of course, you know, now that Roe versus Wade is is overturned and everything, I mean, abortion still has to be legal on some level, right? I mean, it's still necessary in certain scenarios, isn't it? No, I I wouldn't say so. You, you know, we can talk about the exceptions, and that's always hard for me to talk to be uh, talk about because. I have never experienced a rape or incest, for for example. Um, those are heartbreaking, heartbreaking situations. All that I can tell you is that if it were my daughter, I would advise her to not try to solve violence with violence. I think that traumatizes women. I think that uh, adds, you know, salt to the wound, really. But but what if they were say? What if your daughter was 10 or 12 years old? Yeah, a young that's, girl. That's tough. You know, I, I won't mm. say there's never a circumstance. Uh, if, if I live to see, you know, 99% of abortions gone, I'll, I'll be happy. It's, it's really hard to discuss those, those situations and to make a decision for somebody else. But I will tell you that, first of all, you know, like I said, with, with the rape and incest, I don't think that always helps the woman. I think oftentimes, you, you know, you presented a very extreme case. Uh, that's hard to say. But for for a lot of women, that's going to be painful. We should at least, at the bare minimum, counsel a woman that that may 
add to her trauma, not not help her. Uh, fair point, fair point. Okay, but then what about, uh, say, like an ectopic pregnancy? Well, an ectopic pregnancy is a whole different thing. That has nothing to do with an abortion. That's a mm -hmm. medical problem, and that is solved by a medical procedure. So, okay. So, so it's not the same thing. Not at what all. What about, uh, have you ever heard of uh, a, a, like a spontaneous or a missed abortion? What, what about the cases of those? So a spontaneous abortion is the medical term for a miscarriage. Right. But every, every bit of legislation concerning abortion clearly defines abortion as the intentional killing of a human being. That has nothing to do with a miscarriage. Again, that's a medical situation solved by a medical procedure and has nothing whatsoever to do with abortion. Okay, you, you keep trying to clear up where I'm trying to blur the lines of abortion versus not abortion. This, is, this isn't a fair argument anymore, Mary. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, so, okay. So here, here's, here's a common question I've been getting. Um, what, what is the line between protecting women's rights and protecting the unborn? I think that's simple. It's the very same situation that we see in a lot of other scenarios where my rights and where yours begin. So, you know, I, I'm libertarian at heart. Uh, I, I think you should be able to do anything you want, pretty much, as long as you're not stepping on somebody else's toes, as long as you're not um, interfering with someone else's rights. And that's the problem with abortion is we neglect to talk about that innocent human being whose rights are being violated. Yeah, and, and Mary, to that point, I think you, you brought this this perfectly into focus is that I talk about this all the time on the show. You don't have a – your liberty cannot be something that takes liberty away from somebody else. It ceases to be liberty at that point, and, and they love to throw that in the in the pro-abortion uh, side of things. They love throwing that in our face, and, and I, it, as a libertarian, right, the – position of the party has long been that they're pro-abortion. And so I look at this from the perspective of, well, the Libertarian Party is wrong on this issue. And even within the Libertarian Party, they don't seem to get the concept that that this applies to anybody, whether they are fully formed or not. This, yeah, I, I don't get that. You can't, can't pick or choose whom you get to trample their liberty. It, right, it doesn't right. make sense to me. Would, would I make this argument all the time to to some of these pro-abortion libertarians? Would you have been advocating for the position of the U.S. government when uh, a black person was only what three fifths or three eighths or whatever of a human being? Right, and there are so many similarities between slavery, the abolition of slavery, where we're today with abortion. Uh, you know, the dehumanizing of a class of people. To, uh, to, to manipulate, to take advantage of, to use that, that person um, and abuse their rights. There's so many similarities. And, and you also brought up um, a really important point early in this conversation, because we see a lot of um, men, especially 
um, elite athletes, people with large followings, Dave Portnoy, LeBron James, Kyler Murray uh, from the Arizona Cardinals, all coming out talking about how, you know, what is a man's uh, position and all of these things. And, and I keep coming back to it is your position. These people, it, we have a culture, and we talk about this all the time on our show, the culture of me and the church of me. It is whatever is convenient for me and for these individuals, what is convenient, right? It is a culture in which I can hook up, I can do whatever I want to do, but because I have money, I have lawyers, I have that whole thing in front of me, and I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. There's no responsibility in this culture. There's none. And we would be better off as a society. You know, it's like, well, what if... What you're telling me is then you have to have like responsibility for your activities. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Welcome to the conservative and libertarian position on literally everything. The, yeah, the, you, I, there I would... are consequences. Some of them are good. Some of them can be negative. However, you must prepare yourself for that. There are so many ways and different faiths have different things to say about um, ways in which you can uh, protect yourself from not having, you know, if you're not ready, right, there are ways to take a responsible position. And it drives me crazy when I see these types of individuals telling other people um, to, well, this is crazy that men are making this decision for women. It, it it takes two to tango in these scenarios. And so, yes, you do have a say-so. Not, not oh, so yeah. much what happens to the body, but what happens to the decisions that go into creating another life. Exactly. Take some responsibility. Be a man. Just be a man. Stand up. Take care of your your child. You know what? If you liked her enough to be sleeping with her, you better like her enough for her to be the mother of your children because that is a very strong possibility. But I I just swipe right, right? I just keep swiping. And and that's the culture we live in. The the culture of I want to, and I want to, but no consequences. Yeah. Well, you know what did that, don't you? Abortion did that. Absolutely. Access to abortion gave men license to do that. Absolutely. It's the the astounding culture. And, and I come from the world of sports reporting prior to this. So I get the culture that exists around these types of, of individuals. And you look at Deshaun Watson and, and the things that are going on there. It just speaks to this lack of responsibility, and that's what I hear when I hear a lot of the the pro-abortion arguments here, is that it's because I want to, or my life is now inconvenienced, or my life is going to change in a way that I didn't plan. Well, here's a newsflash for you. Life is going to do that to you one way or another, and it's how yeah. you respond, and the response too often is, this is inconvenient. I'm pushing it away, and we have a culture that advocates for that today. So how how do we go forward? What is next for this pro-life movement um, if we are if we are to advance this position? Well, we believe at Pro-Life Utah that the most important thing is to provide women with resources, with help and support. I believe that uh, the lack of those kind of things are are what paved the way for abortion to become so. Uh, 
such a big thing in our society, so common, so accepted, because we didn't have solutions. In 1973, we did not have solutions for a woman who was facing an unplanned pregnancy. And if we don't want to go back there, we have we cannot let that happen again. Yeah, and to that point, I, I go back to this, Pat, we, we talked about this earlier this week, the, the, the meme that's out there in the Catholic Church. Oh, no, um, you, you don't care about life. You only care about the life of the unborn says the church that gives you adoption centers, that gives you uh, food uh, banks, that gives you, you know, X, Y, Z, literally from the cradle to the grave. And and we talk about social justice having been a perversion of what the Catholic Church has taught literally for a couple millennia at this point, in, in that you do have a responsibility to your fellow man and to be um, responsible and help those who can't help themselves but you do so out of your own goodwill, not because government is forcing you into action. That is, that's about responsibility. It goes right back to that root, I think, is responsibility and responsibility to help each other. And I think we see that in the Catholic Church, and I think in the pro-life movement, at least in the last 10 years, we have seen that real big light bulb switch of we have to talk about the things that we actually do for the rest of the life, right? And right. and how important it is, we're not talking about just the unborn. We're talking about, okay, so you got a special needs child. There are so many avenues that you can go down. Okay, you've got um, you know, a 14-year-old who's pregnant. How do we provide love and care and service until they're on their own feet? How do we do these things to assist people who do need assistance? And um, I, I'm so glad that we see it in the pro-life movement because it's always been there, but we've actually put it at the forefront. So how is pro-life Utah uh, putting that in the forefront these days? Yeah, well, you know what? The same as we have in the past. Uh, pro-life Utah, you, you may know we uh, began our mobile ultrasound clinic uh, just a little over a year ago, and that has been a very successful project. So we offer free ultrasounds, free pregnancy testing. And then at that point, we invite a woman into our life grant program. Uh, we can offer some financial aid, um, emotional support, some baby supplies. We love to give baby showers to, to some of the ladies that we work with. Mm -hmm. uh, so we intend to continue that. We know that the need for that is going to be much greater. And so we are, we're inviting all of our uh, partner organizations, churches of every faith, local state governments uh, to partner with us because this is going to be huge. There is going to be a much greater need for these services. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And and I think I would encourage anybody who claims the mantle of being pro-life to help, to find a way, whether that's through your church, whether that's through uh, Pro-Life Utah or other organizations that are actually pro-life. That's the other key issue that we see a lot, and we've talked about this in, in past interviews, is that the, the term big baby that is out there, right? That they've perpetuated the the continued grievance, if you will, of the pro-life movement for 20, 30 years here because it was making them money. Now is your right. time to step up and do something to show your pro-life, not just say it. Um, so yeah, I, I will defend my pro-life community there. I, I have never seen so much generosity, absolutely. Uh, so many people willing to help, wanting to help. So, um, yeah, it, we need more people to step up because there's going to be more need for support. But 
in general, the pro-life community is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's more of the lobbying and more of the Washington, D.C. crowd than than anything else. But at the grassroots ground level in the states, in those organizations, um, you see a totally different um, design and a totally different passion uh, for this movement. Um, So speaking of that, how can people get a hold of you? How can they donate? How can they become involved if they live in the state of Utah, or even if they don't, and they, and they want to find ways to to be involved in the pro life movement going forward? Right. Our our website prolifeutah.org, Facebook at prolifeutah, um, tw- uh, what is it? Uh, Instagram and Twitter, same thing. Prolife at prolifeutah. Uh, this Saturday, we are going to hold an event, and I would invite everybody to come out to that. We are so excited about the overturning of Roe. Uh, we've got a fantastic lineup for the very short time that we had to plan this. We will have uh, Senator Dan McKay, who was the sponsor, you may know, of the trigger bill here in Utah. Uh, Representative Burgess Owens, we're going to have some musical numbers by Nathan Osmond. It's going to be a really good time and um, come out and support us. That would that would be fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Uh, we really greatly appreciate it. You bet. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much to Mary again for joining us. Um, hopefully you got something out of that interview. Um, again, Pro Life Utah. Check it out online. I'm sure you can find all their social media stuff there. Pat, I, I wanted to come back to one thing. And I think it's something that I don't talk about very often here, especially, but we talked about responsibility in men. There's also responsibility in life. And what do I mean by that? So I, I, I look at the example, yes, I had two parents, right? I had my mom and dad available to me. But when I was very young, and, and this is actually in a book, um, when I was very, very young, uh, my dad was laid off multiple times from his job. Um, he would go to Lambeau Field, collect all of the cans that had been left over in the parking lots right after Packer games, and use that money to buy diapers. That was a one-income household, basically, for the vast majority of the first three to four years of my life. I was able to not know that, not know the struggles because they took responsibility, right? And what do I mean by that? Even if you are poor, right? Even if you are the poorest of the poor and you do need some assistance, there's also this level of responsibility that you have to become the provider, that you have to take responsibility for the life that you are creating. And that does mean sacrifice. And that is antithetical, and that's to the point I was making during this interview, is that that is antithetical to today's culture. Sacrifice. That's part of responsibility. You can't do everything that you want to do because you want to do it. There are things that happen in life and decisions that you make that alter the course of your life. Sometimes it's done for you. Sometimes it's not, right? Getting into an accident and losing a limb. 
that alters the course of your life. It changes things. You might have to sacrifice some of the things that you used to love or learn how to do them differently, right? You have to take some responsibility to understand your condition and figure out a way through it. Because nobody, and I mean nobody, is more responsible for your life and the decisions or more, more responsible for your life, period, than you. Than you. And too often what we see is, well, it's not going to be easy. Um, I, I, I don't want to be a single parent. Then don't be. And what do I mean by that? The responsibility should be for the man to stick around and be part of that child's life, number one. Number two, for you as a parent, how do, how do single parents figure it out? Do they take time where they might need assistance and help and uh, the community helping? Yeah, sure, that might happen. But too often in today's society, we think we have to provide from the cradle to the grave for that child. And that's the, the double-edged sword I want to get away from is that we in the pro-life movement also should be believing that the responsibility comes from making decisions that will get you away from that poverty situation. We can educate you on financial responsibilities. We can educate you on those types of things. I, I look at a bunch of people you know that I went to high school with. They figured it out. They got pregnant in high school. And sure, some of it, they had assistance. Some of it, it might be a long play. Right, you might have to take a you know five years to get a two year degree or something, right? But you figure it out. Too often we we think that everything must be handed to us, everything must be an instant gratification, and if it's not instantly there, what do I do? What do I do? You figure it out. So sometimes there needs to be a safety net in place. Sometimes there does. But it must be a temporary. Too often we believe that we have to be the cradle to the grave society. No, we don't. We have to be there to help you through the temporary bumps that happen in life. But you have to take responsibility and understand that your life is not your life anymore when you have a child. Your life is their life. And you have a responsibility now. Sorry you have to grow up, but if my parents, if your parents, if everybody else's parents out there could have can figure it out, can make sure that you have a life, whether it's hard, whether that's living, you know, in not great conditions for a little bit, or you're you're living in the Ritz Carlton. Find your way through the difficulties. There are going to be problems and issues in life, and if you can't deal, you're screwed, period. Too often we talk about that responsibility uh, as a one-way street, the man's responsibility, this responsibility. You become a parent, you are a responsible person. You must be a responsible person. You, not the rest of the community, you. And with that, Pat, uh, final thoughts on the interview with Mary. You know, I, I aim into everything you just said, first of all. Um, color me biased. And, and you know a little bit about this. Uh, I, I've talked a little bit about this off air. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was born nine weeks early. Um, and I, for all intents and purposes, there's a lot of reason to believe that I shouldn't be here right now. Um, but my, my parents fought to keep me alive and thank, thankful to the doctors and stuff as well that, that did. Um, I'm thankful that I'm here and I was, I'm able to make decisions and I'm able to have a life and have, and have the happiness that everyone else gets to, to have and pursue in life. So yeah. color me biased, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if I've, I've shared that. this with you either. Cause so I have a, not a similar story to you, but um, when I was born, um, I was born dead. I wasn't alive. Um, the doctor, when they turned me, wrapped the umbilical cord around me and suffocated me. Not on purpose, obviously, but I was born with no breath. I could easily have never have been here. Mm-hmm. So color me biased, right? Right. D- did my life not matter? Right. At that point, I, I was born not alive. Right. And it took, I and- think... From what I understand of the story, obviously, because I obviously right. can't remember it, um, it was right. four or five minutes before they knew if I was going to live or not. Well, I mean, I I mean, I have cerebral palsy as a result of being born early, mm-hmm. um, and and not having enough oxygen to to live on my own yet. Um, but yeah, but I mean, so so color me biased. I mean, the, the whole point of this, I'm not saying this as some sob story. I'm saying this is like, I want my children to grow up and to have the same choices in life and to be able to make decisions, to be able to pursue happiness. And I don't want this just for my children. I want this for all children. Mm-hmm. Genuinely want yeah. this for everyone. I know there are people out there that that have it hard, that are single parents, that I know kids that are orphans because they were, you know, either their parents were killed or maybe they placed them up for adoption, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. You know, I I know the system isn't perfect for, for everyone, but here's, here's the, here's my flash. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Because we're human beings. There's one perfect person in this world and his name is Jesus Christ. Right. And killing somebody is not going to be the answer. It can't be the answer. It can't be. So I just, you know, I I know I played a a very kind of satirical, kind of funny way of of doing an interview with Mary. But really, I mean, these are the questions I get all the time, all the time. Anything, anytime I post anything that's even remotely pro-life or about reproductive rights or, or whatever the case may be, I usually get something, whether it's in my inbox or it's in the comments, doesn't matter. I've even gotten this from my own family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just I I can never understand how unless it may be like a rare circumstance like like my if my wife is going to be in danger in the pregnancy and and it could cost her her life yeah maybe then maybe then I could understand it but but but, but we've talked about this even then right. it, it, unless it's, it's rare, in a small. rare window mm-hmm. right. right a very rare window most of the time. There are ways medically to be able to save both. Right. Mother and child. The effort should always be life. Right. That is it, period. How do I save both lives if possible? And if there's that impossible scenario in front of you, 
It's not a it's not an abortion. It is I'm going to attempt to save both lives. One of them might not live, right? That's that's how you deal with that. And right. that is in the hands of God. That is not in the hands of you or me or or necessarily the medical professionals. They work through God and his will. Absolutely they do. Whether they want to believe that or not. But God's will be done. Amen to that. And on that note, um, I hope everybody has a wonderful, safe, happy, and for the love of God. Do not drink, light off fireworks, and hold them in your hand, you morons. Do not do that. Please, for the love of God. And anybody that does might make it on WTF Wednesday next week. On that note, though, Pat, your final thoughts on this week as we uh, head into the 4th of July Independence Day weekend. And by the way, before we uh, get to there, uh, do not forget, we have a very special 4th of July episode um, next week. Um, it will be pre-taped, um, but it will air on the 4th of July. It is our ode to the uh, Declaration of Independence, um, but in a very different way. And your thoughts? Yeah, uh, don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And uh, happy 4th of July. Please be safe. Be smart. Be kind. As always, Matthew 547. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.